The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Church, if you would please turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1. I am very excited to share with you this morning a treasure that I have been meditating on all week long as we begin this series through the book of Philippians. Like I said, my name is Pastor Ben, and I, I love pastoring this great church. I'm such a blessed man, and, and I, love, I love pastoring. There's challenging parts of it as there is any, any role, anything that God would call us to, but by and large, I, I enjoy the work that God has called me to. I really do. Uh, when I was first called as a pastor, though, there was one piece of work that I was not good at, nor did I like it at all. And uh, as a young pastor, the thing that I probably hated most was navigating large hospitals. And uh, because, you know, as a young person, I've been blessed to never really have a whole lot of health issues. I've, I'd never really been in a hospital, maybe ever. I mean, I just, I was, it was not a place that I had spent much time. And, and some hospitals are very easy. If, if the room number of the person you're going to go pray with and visit, if they're in room 306, you know it's on the third floor and you figure out which way the numbers are going and they're in this room number six. That's not hard. Um, but for these very large hospitals that have been built onto multiple times, and you go up to the person at the front desk and you ask, you know, you're there to see this person, you register your name and all these things, and they say, well, they're in room 306-85-B-C, whatever. I mean, it's like they just keep going on and on, and it's like, okay, where is that? And they're, then they proceed to give you these long instructions of like, down the hallway, around the kitchen, up the elevator, and under the cafeteria. I mean, like, it's like this under, just, it's impossible to figure out where you're going sometimes. And I really, I'm better at it now, thankfully, but it was always very difficult when I first started the ministry. Uh, there is one hospital, however, that is very easy to navigate. It's never been hard for me to navigate. And it's Children's Hospital in Columbus. Raise your hand if you've ever been there. A lot of us have. Okay, so if you have been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but if you have not been there, they have these landmarks. I, I don't even really know what the average person would call them, but they've got all sorts of things, big structures of animals, fake animals, and these huge paintings and murals and all these fun things on the floor. Like I think one of the first things you see that's even while you're still in the parking garages is, is like a three and a half foot tall acorn that's silver. I mean, you know, just, just crazy random stuff for kids. And, uh, and that hospital is so easy because you, you go up to the front and you obviously there's being a children's hospital, there's more steps you got to go through to get registered. They get a copy of your driver's license and all these things so you can be in a children's hospital and uh, and you ask where the room is of this person that you're going to go see and and they sometimes won't even give you a number they'll just say just walk on this yellow path right here and keep going until you see the blue gorilla and the orange tree i mean like that, no matter how hard you try you will never forget blue gorilla and orange tree i mean you'll just know that that's where you're to go and uh and the reason that they do this these have actually been called before, all these animals, these structures, these just very outlandish things in these children's hospitals. They've been referenced before as joy distractions. And the reason they put these things in here are not 
just because it's a kid's hospital, they actually play a very fundamental role in a children's hospital where there are these young people, these children, who have sometimes excruciating pain in their bodies and illnesses and things that they're going through, and they'll see a three and a half foot tall silver acorn. And, and for a moment, their mind will be distracted from the internal pain that's there, it's real. They have actual pain that they're going through, and it doesn't, the acorn doesn't change that they have pain, but they see this thing and, it, and it, it takes their focus from the inward and puts it to this outward reality that's so big and so glaring and so funny and so amazing that it actually has a very impactful result for these children who are sometimes experiencing very difficult pain. In this new series that is titled Joy, a study that we'll be doing through the book of Philippians, um, I'd love for us to be able to look at this kind of joy. This kind of joy that does not negate that there are real things that we go through and real pains that we experience, but things that are so big, so evident, so glaring to us in God's Word that it would cause us to shift our focus from inward to something that's real, a reality that's outside of us that's so amazing that it will have a real impact in the way we continue on in our lives. Uh, now there are two things about this study of Philippians that ought not to be much of a surprise. Uh, the first is that God first spoke these words that we'll be studying in Philippians. He first used the Apostle Paul to speak these words, to write this letter, to speak these words first to us also, but first to the church at Philippi. Now, if you know much about the Bible, you know that God used Paul as the pen through which he wrote many things to many churches in many places. And many times it was to correct very evident issues in some of the churches. For example, in Galatia, the church there, the book of Galatians as we would know it, if they had an issue of not having joy, it would probably be because they were always reverting back to the Old Testament law, which is what God corrected them in. But this church here in Philippi, um, to put it plainly, I guess, they had their act together. And it wasn't their act, it was obviously God's mercy in their lives. They they didn't have huge problems. They were lovers of truth. They were lovers of God's Word. And if there was a problem with their joy, they had, the, they had the main things there first. Those components were absolutely there of trusting the Lord, being God's children, being in His Word. So that was thing one. If it's interesting that God spoke this first to the church at Philippi about this, about this continued joy even yet through pain. The second thing that's not really surprising about this is that God used the Apostle Paul as the pen through which he would write this book, this letter to the church at Philippi. If you know of Paul, you know about his situation, which was given in much detail in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul said that he had been beaten physically by Jews and Gentiles. He had been shipwrecked, literally. It says that he spent a night and a day in the deep. I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. He had false teachers that were running around that were hindering the churches that he had planted. He experienced sleeplessness, hunger, excessive thirst, cold and heat. He had experienced nakedness from having his things stolen from him after he had been beaten. He had a daily burden for the church, the Word of God tells us. And even while he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he's actually in prison. He's in chains while he's writing this letter. And I think that what we will see, and the thing that Paul learned was he learned how to look for the blue monkey in the orange tree. 
He learned how to look for the, the to, to see the things that distracted him from the actual, real, genuine pain that he experienced internally to shift the focus from that to something that is true, good, beautiful, and perfect, and excellent that's revealed of God's nature and His Word and His relationship with us. So, if essentially, I guess, throughout this journey together through the book of Philippians, we're going to be looking for the blue monkeys and the orange trees. And, and if you're ready for that journey, say amen. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord and pray, and then we will open His Word together in the book of Philippians. Father, Your Word tells us, and we believe it to be true, that in Your presence there is fullness of joy, and at Your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Father, we're all here together this morning and we recognize that the fullness of those things and all that they encompass in their fullness we will not yet experience until we, are, until we awaken in Your likeness, till we are no longer in this earth that is so cursed by sin. But Father, whatever joy that You would have us have today, Lord, whatever joy that You would have us have in Your truth, I want to experience it. I want to experience it. We want to experience it together as a church, Lord. So we ask that you would be gracious in opening our hearts to help us see these things and to see them clearly. In Jesus' precious name, we all say together, Amen. Philippians 1, verse 1. And it starts with the greeting. It says, Paul and Timothy. And Paul obviously wrote this, but Timothy was likely with him and carrying these letters back and forth. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. So if I could paraphrase what it was that God used Paul to say there, Paul's saying, greetings, church in Philippi, greetings, pastors and deacons and all of you there. There's something that when I pray for you, I'm always praying for you. I'm always praying in this very joyful, when I remember you, I pray for you. And my prayers are always done in joy. It makes me really, really happy that I pray about these things for you. And here's why. It starts in verse 5. For your fellowship in the Gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you, We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So as we go through this church, we could call these joy distractions. And I'll give you joy distraction number one right now, which is simply belonging to Jesus. The thing that one of the first thing that Paul mentions that is he's exuberantly happy about that this church at Philippi has is, is this fellowship together in the gospel. They belong to Jesus together. Now remember that, let's not read over this too quick. Remember what it is that Paul probably is thinking to himself as God is using him to write these words. He's probably remembering the shipwreck that he experienced. What a traumatic thing. Perhaps even while he's in these chains, he goes to rub his neck and the ends of his fingers go across the scars on his back. The actual, literal scars that he has from having been beaten. I'm sure Paul probably remembers the regret that he had as they stoned Stephen to death, that man of God who was full of the Holy Spirit and the men who were killing this Christian, they took off their cloaks and they threw them at Saul's feet and Saul was guarding their clothes while he watched this believer be stoned to death. 
he probably had that great regret knowing that here he is, a church planter. He's going around this missionary and, and one of those people he permitted the stoning of. He's, he's probably thinking about the chains. Perhaps even as he's going across the page writing this, you can hear the clanging of these chains that are hanging from his wrists. But the thing that Paul says in spite of all those things, that Paul says that I'm rem- the thing that comes to remembrance to me is your fellowship in the Gospel together. Th- th- this is the first blue monkey in the orange tree this is such a huge thing that i i'm 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 distracted from my own pains my own regrets the shipwreck all those things because of your fellowship and the gospel so the question i'd like to have for all of us this morning right out of the gate is what's your past shipwreck because i know that i've got a couple what scars do you have that you brought with you this morning What regrets do you have, church? Because I know that I could tell you more than just a couple of my own that plague me. The remembrance of those things plague me. Hopefully none of us walked in here with physical chains, but but do do, do you face chains of feeling temptation towards sin like I do? Does Does that sometimes feel like a chain? I know it does for me. The truth that I'd like to highlight this morning for all of us is that when you've trusted in the saving mercy of Jesus Christ, when you've turned from your old self and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, what He has done on the cross for guilty sinners, and you put all your stock there, like your whole life's direction, your heart's longing is to serve your Master and your King who loves you and saved you and and loves you with an all-consuming love that you could never even possibly imagine the expansion of. When that has happened to you, church, when that has happened to you, dear friend, you belong to Jesus. And it's an overarching principle that outweighs everything else. Uh, Justin Martyr, a, someone, a person that you can read of in church history, was one time quoted saying, during a time of great Christian persecution, when, if you remember, in the fires of 64 AD in Rome, Christians were blamed for this, and it launched in this huge array of of Christian persecution. And years afterward, Justin Martyr was quoted saying, they can kill us, but they can't hurt us. If you believe that, church, say amen. And this is not just something, hear me, this is not just something that we read of one of the old church fathers, that that's something that they believed in and that was true for them. I, I, I've been shown this year specifically that that's not just for old church fathers and, and, and what real great heroes of faith do. No, this is, this is for the believer to have this, I belong to Jesus, therefore it outweighs everything else that I'm going through right now. This year has been challenging for a lot of reasons for a lot of people, but one of the things that has been a little bit tough for me as, as I have said goodbye to two Christian friends who have gone home to be with the Lord, uh, both of which suffered from cancer, one of which was in her very much senior years, one of which was not. And these are people I've loved, I've looked up to. I call them my friends. And you have the conversation where you know things take, I mean, they both had just very ferocious forms of cancer that just took them very, very quickly. And and, and when you hear that things have taken a real bad turn for the worse, and you know that person probably only has a few weeks left, and, and you call them on the phone, and you know it's the last phone call. Like, there are tw- two times this year that I've been on the phone, and before I even dial the number, I think this is the, I know that this is the last time I'm going to get to talk to this person on earth. I, I know that this is the last time I'll be able to speak with them. And, and I've been so impressed by both of those people that I love so much when I have that conversation with them, it's, it's easier for them somehow than it is for me. I get all choked up and I'm just reminding them how much my wife and I love them and how much they've meant to me and all these things and instill perfectly in their right mind. And, and I'll ask, we'll just say for one example, let's say his name was Bill. 
And I'll say, Bill, how are you feeling? What's your body experiencing with all this cancer in your bones right now? And he says, he says Pastor Ben, it feels like all of my bones are breaking at the same time all together at once. I've never experienced anything like this at all. But I'm at complete peace. I'm ready to go home and see my Savior. I, I, I'm complete. And I can hear it in his voice. He's not just like saying this thing that's just what Christian people are supposed to say. No, he believes that he is facing death in a couple of weeks. He absolutely has this horrific pain in his body. But he, he, I can hear the peace. I can hear the joy in his voice. How, how does that happen? What it tells me, church, is that regardless of the shipwrecks, scars, regrets, and chains that you and I may face, there is joy to be had because we belong to Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. In verse 7 it says, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, Paul says to the church at Philippi, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the Gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, it is absolutely right that I have this joy, Paul says. Regardless of all the things I've been through, regardless of the pain that I'm feeling now, and these chains that are making it hard to write, regardless of all these things, it is absolutely right that I have this great joy because we're partakers of this grace together. This is so temporary, this earthly setup. This, this grace that we're in together, it gives us an amazing, wonderful direction of belonging to Jesus. Life is not hopeless, senseless, or nonsense. We have hope in Jesus and we belong to Him. Billy Graham told this really funny story that I heard this week. Of um, He obviously didn't tell it this week, but he told it in years past and I read about it this week. Uh, he tells the story of Albert Einstein was on a, on a train once, and, and as the train begins to roll down the rails, the, the conductor comes out, and he has his little hole punch, and he's punching a hole in each person's ticket. And Albert Einstein frantically begins looking for his ticket, and he can't find it. He's searching in his coat pockets and in his briefcase, and he can't find his ticket. The conductor comes up to him, and he says, Sir, I, Mr. Einstein, I know that you... I know that you've bought a ticket, and I know that you just can't find it right now. I don't need to punch your ticket. I already know that you've, I've saw the, the register earlier. We already know that you have a ticket. You're fine. So the conductor makes his way on down the car, and a few rows back, the conductor looks back, and he still sees Albert Einstein frantically, even more so now than before, looking for this ticket. So the conductor rushes back, Sir, you, you don't need to look for your ticket anymore. I, I, you can just sit back and enjoy this train ride. I don't need to see your ticket. To which Albert Einstein stands up and he says, I know you don't need to see it, but I need to see it because I don't remember which way I'm going. <laughs> Can I just tell you, dear Christian follower of Jesus, that is never the case for the believer. We always have a direction because we belong to Jesus. Even in prison, Paul had a direction. Even for a student who doesn't know what they're going to do with the rest of their life, there's still a direction. For both of my friends who have passed this year, they absolutely, even with their bodies being consumed with cancer, they absolutely had a direction. So I believe that you can go through all those things, shipwrecks and scars and having been beaten and cancer and death and all these things, knowing that you belong to Jesus and it is a joy distraction. If you say amen, I'll move along. The next thing that Paul was happy about, look to verse 9. We know that Paul is praying for these things always with great joy. Verse 9, and it says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. 
Now, if you read that too quickly, you might just read it and then remember it in your brain as saying, as Paul saying, well, we, Paul might, you might think he's saying, well, we just need to love one another, which is true. That's vital for believers' joy. Absolutely. We ought to love one another. But, but look at it closely. It says, this I pray, Paul says, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things which are excellent. In other words, Paul says, I've got this great pain, but this thing that I pray of that you've already got, church at Philippi, dear people that love the Lord and love the truth, you've already got this, but I'm praying that you have more and more of it. And it brings me great joy that you've got it. And it brings me great joy to pray even more that you have more and more of this. Joy distraction number two, right understanding. Right understanding. If you know your Bible well, you'll know that God used Paul to write to the church at Rome, which we know is the book of Romans, to talk about some specific issues of sin. God used Paul to write to the church at Galatia, which we know is the book of Galatians, to write about not conforming to the Old Testament law, but to be free in Christ. He wrote to the church in Corinthians, which we know is the church at Corinth, to the Corinthian people, which we have as First and Second Corinthians, and they had every problem. Every problem you could imagine almost, that church had, it seemed. And, and, and God was always using Paul to write to these churches for these specific reasons. And we know that this was a burden on Paul. We know that this, it tells us in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, when Paul lists all those things that he had gone through at the end, it says, and besides these other things, shipwreck, being beaten, spending a night and a day in the deep, all those things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. And I certainly don't want to compare myself to the Apostle Paul at all, but I think maybe I've just got just a little taste of what it's like to be burdened for the churches in this way, to be burdened for the, for the body of Christ, to have this love of a right knowledge and a right discernment so that you can decipher between what is excellent and what is not. It, it, that, that, that really burdens someone who loves the truth, someone who's, who, who's devoted to God's Word, this thing that, that is a joy-producing thing from pain in life, that there's a right discernment, a proper understanding, a right understanding. Paul says to the church at Philippi, I've got all these issues and these problems. You're not just have the joy distraction of being Christ, belonging to Him, but you also have number two, you've got this this right understanding, this proper understanding, this love for knowledge and discernment. You want to know what's really there. You want to know how to decipher between what's there and what's not there, what's right and what's wrong. So I believe, church, and I believe wholeheartedly that the reason that the church of Philippi was like this is I believe if you could rewind all those years ago and just walk around their church, you probably had some people with some Bibles walking around. You probably had some people in leadership that were devoted to learning God's Word, that were devoted to pouring themselves, not just a daily devotional, but to pour themselves over the truth and nature of God. I'll bet if you could go back, there were some people at the church of Philippi that were doing that, and it was leaving a godly legacy. But what it tells us for today, church, is that I believe you can go through family drama having this knowledge, this joy distraction that you belong to Christ, and also this, this love for a discerning between right and wrong, this love for knowledge and truth. And you can go through great family drama. And you can know what's right and wrong between this squabble that goes about. And you say to yourself, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let family drama go on as family drama will. 
we, we know what the path, right path is. We're going to keep marching. We've discerned between what is right and wrong. We've poured over the nature of God to know what He says. We're going to continue on. And it will bring this joyful situation that normally people would get sucked into this depression and this anxiety and this drama. I believe that people can go through financial hardship. And they can know what God's Word says of going out and working hard but trusting that God will be their provider. I believe that there can be wicked leadership, whether it's town, state, country, whatever it may be. And if someone has already determined in their mind they've had a love for knowledge and discernment that they are able to determine between what is right, what is wrong, what is godly, what is not, and they can continue marching through that tumultuous time, that tumultuous wicked leadership, because they have right understanding. Why is it, church, that Christians people that you see in church all the time can sometimes have life that are a life that are just it's in shambles just just a mess and i'm not talking about like health related things that people can't help i'm talking about like self-inflicted things that are just just a, a tumultuous life how does that happen you know i think certainly there's a place for those kinds of things to happen as it did for judas iscariot judas iscariot had a perfect teacher he had a perfect theology being taught to him by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And he still went astray. So I think there's certainly, we see that in God's Word. But, but I believe that there are many people, church, who have joy distraction, number one. They belong to Jesus. But they do not have this right understanding. They don't have a love of knowledge and discernment so that they can decipher between what's excellent and what's not. I believe it produces believers, which there are many today, that don't have much joy and they don't have growth in their walk with Jesus Christ. They're kind of the same yesterday and they're kind of the same today and they're going to be the same tomorrow because they're not pouring themselves. They don't have a love for knowledge and discernment. Which is in part, and I certainly don't want to give anyone a big head this morning, but I'm very thankful for this church because I believe that most of you really do love knowledge and discernment you really have you, you really want to see what's there you, you don't want to just have a candy coat and you, you really want to know what is God's command for us and let me march faithfully for my my savior there is a uh, a type of bird that you all have probably seen before um, if you drive here in Ohio and you drive past a herd of cattle or a small group of horses in the summertime you'll sometimes see these these small brown birds and it's the brown-headed cowbird is the name of this particular type of bird and from the standpoint of the animal they're a, they're a pretty nice bird to have around they eat ticks and flies and gnats and all the things that plague animals so they're they're a nice thing to have around livestock but this brown-headed cowbird is is kind of a jerk and and here's why they, um, they don't build their own nests. They do something that's very peculiar. Uh, the female brown-headed cowbird, when it comes time for her to lay an egg, she will find a nest that is built by another breed of bird. And she'll go off a ways and she'll sit and watch to see when the, the parents, when the, when the mother is away from that nest. And she'll time, know how long it is. And, and, and they've watched how this brown-headed cowbird will wait until the one flies away. It'll fly up there, lay its egg, and then run away. <laughs> and for many breeds of birds, this becomes the demise of the nest. They sit on all these eggs, one of which is not their own. All these chicks hatch, one of which is not their own. And this brown-headed cowbird baby 
is, is a larger chick than the other ones, and it's got a ferocious appetite. And, and sometimes they'll see the mother will just work themselves almost to death, sometimes trying to feed this bottomless pit of this, of this brown-headed cowbird baby that's in the nest. But not all birds have such a lack of joy and a haphazard nature to their nest and to their home. There's one bird, and I think we, could shoot, we got it right here, which you know well, the American robin. It will go away, and when it comes back and sees one egg different, you might say that it has some knowledge, it has some discernment, it's able to determine what is excellent and what is not. And when it sees an egg, it won't even sit on it to incubate the thing to then grow a chick. It'll push it right out of the nest. And thus, these robins that we all see in our yards in the springtime as they eat earthworms, they have a nest that is peaceful. It's not haphazard. They've been able to determine what is what, what is right, what is wrong. That belongs there. This doesn't belong there. They understand those things. So I guess what I'm telling you is be like that bird. But Paul said to the Philippian church, I'm happy because you belong to Jesus. And because you have right understanding. It made Paul forget about his pains because he had, they had those things. If you say amen, I'll move on. The last thing today that we'll see that was a reason for Paul to be joy-filled. It was a joy distraction. The last thing that we'll see that's the, the blue monkey in the orange tree. We know that Paul's praying all these things in joy. Now look to verse 10, part B. It says, That you may be sincere, and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Joy distraction number three, authenticity. Authenticity. Paul says, church at Philippi, I've got scars, regrets, and chains, and I've got joy. Because you've got some things. You belong to Jesus. You have a right understanding that, that what you're doing, church at Philippi, it's real. It's authentic. I, I'm overjoyed that I can sit here in this mess knowing this church that I planted. What they're doing is absolutely right. It's real. It's sincere, as the Word of God says that we just read. It's the fruit of righteousness which are, everyone say are, which are by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by humanly wisdom, humanly philosophies, people's ideas of how this ministry ought to go. These fruits of righteousness that's happening in you dear people at Philippi, it's happening by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So how do you go through life encouraging one another? How do you go through cancer and past hurts and regrets and fears of the future and, and things that just hurt inside? How do we encourage each other in these things, church? Remind each other to look at the blue monkey in the orange tree. Look at the things that are just, look at the belonging to Jesus. Look, it doesn't matter what happens to your body. You belong to Jesus. You're not going to be lost. You belong to Him. You've got a right understanding. You love what's right. You've poured yourself over the nature of God to, know, to have a love for knowledge and discernment. You can tell what's excellent and what is not. And it's real. It's authentic. We can come to the music now, Brianna. Uh, a quote that I don't know who said it and I don't know when it was said was a letter written by a man on his deathbed to a friend. And as far as I understand of this man who I don't know who it was, this was these were the last words that he ever spoke through the form of writing. And he said to this friend, he said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, 
But I have discovered in the midst of a quiet, in the midst of it, a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their own souls. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. Would you stand with me? So are you a Christian this morning, church? People of New Covenant Community Church, regular attendee, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a lover of truth? Do you belong to Him? Because when I get this inward focus off myself, and I see these three and a half foot tall acorns, I see these glaring, amazing, eye-catching truths, I've got some joy that I want to have all the time. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, What a gift, God. Thank you for spelling your word out so clearly to us in this way. It's such a gracious and wonderful thing that you've done in showing us these things. Father, let us be a joyful people. Let us be like Paul and that we might have some things, some stuff that we've been through. But we've got some joy distractions. It takes our focus off of us. And on to the beauty of who you are, how much you love us, and how there is fullness of joy in your presence. We love you, Jesus. In his matchless name, we all say together, this altar is open as it always is. Lead us in song, please.